Last time, we spoke about the benefits of having tama. This time, today, we'd like to speak about the having of dhamma, about having dhamma. And in the third talk, we will speak about using tama. So what this is all about is reaping the benefits of tama. In order to benefit from tama, it is necessary to have it. If you don't have it, there's no way you can benefit from it. And it is impossible to benefit from it if we don't use it. So we spoke first about the benefits. Today we'll speak about having it. And then tomorrow about using it, about using tama. In order to know something, we need to have a taste of it. To know what the dhamma is, we need to taste it and experience it. We can use a material metaphor for this of money. We, we don't really know what money is until we have some and have some experience of the benefits or the usefulness of money. And so with tama, we need to have it and ex have a taste of its benefits in order to understand what it is. The flavor of tama is what we need to talk about now. The flavor or taste of tama is known as vimutti. Vimutti. This is another Pali word that you would do well to know. Vimutti can mean deliverance or salvation or transcendence. So the, f the flavor of tama is deliverance or salvation, vimutti. And we can, s the summation of vimutti is coolness. This coolness is the coolness of life, of a life that is free of affliction, disturbances, annoyances, problems, and tukka. So this is the flavor of tama, vimutti, and that flavor is cool, free of affliction, free of conflict, free of tukka. When we speak of the taste of, of tama, that is a cool life, this may sound strange to you. This may sound funny to your ears, 
But the meaning here is very, very special and necessary to understand. When we're talking about a cool life, we mean the life that is free of, of pain, suffering, problems, life that is cool because it is free of tukka. When we say cool, now be very, very careful. We're not talking about the cool of air conditioners. We're talking, when we say cool, what we mean is that it is without heat. There is no hotness, no fire, no burning. But don't think that we're talking about cold. The cool life is not where we live when we live in Scandinavia or at the South Pole. The cool life is neither hot nor cold. So when we say cool, we don't mean that it is cold because when it is cold, then this is dukkha also. Cold is dukkha because we have to struggle and fight to warm ourselves and keep ourselves clothed and protect ourselves from that coldness. So the meaning of cool, the cool life is life that is neither hot nor cold, free of the tukkha of hotness and the tukkha of coldness. So this is what we're talking about when we say the taste of tama is the cool life. In Thai there are two words, now and yen, which are roughly equivalent to the English words cold and cool. Ajahn Buddhadasa isn't sure of this, but I think they're close enough. Cold is difficult and dangerous. This is something we all know. But cool is comfortable and free of problems. Cool is very pleasant. It's safe. There's no danger in coolness. So, the difference between the words cold and cool should help you to understand what the taste of Dhamma is. Now it, it might be a little funny for you that the, the highest thing in Buddhism is Nibbana. You may be more familiar with the Sanskrit word Nirvana. But in Pali, we say Nibbana. Both of these words mean the same thing. Coolness. Cool. This is the highest thing in Buddhism. Nibbana or coolness. This is the flavor of Tama. This is what Vimuti is. When there is deliverance, from all tukkha, all suffering, all problems. This is cool. 
So this may be unfamiliar to you as a worthy object of your lives. But in fact, this is the highest thing there is. Nibbana, coolness, salvation from problems. Now when we speak of this coolness of Nibbana, we're speaking of spiritual coolness. Don't confuse it with physical coolness or mental coolness. But we're speaking of spiritual coolness. Now we'd like to take a little time out to say a few words about the technical language that we're using here. Now for us these words may be quite strange and new, but we have to realize that in the, the time of the Buddha that the various sages, monks, ascetics, philosophers, and other spiritual seekers in India at that time, that when they had deep spiritual experiences, they had to find some words to express that in order to share that experience with others. Now, if they went and used words that nobody had ever heard before, it would be very, very difficult because ordinary people would never be able to figure out what those words meant. So when these, these sages, and the Buddha in particular, spoke, instead of using fancy words that they made up on their own, they used everyday words. They borrowed their terms from the ordinary lives of most people. So you, they use these common words. And so these words both have a common everyday meaning and also a deep spiritual meaning. And so the words we use here originally were everyday common words such as coolness. But this word also has a deep spiritual meaning which we we need to understand without confusing the two, without confusing the everyday meaning with the spiritual meaning. So if we hope that you'll allow us to take up some of your time to go into this matter of some of the of the technical meanings of some of these words. For example, if you, when they used to take burning charcoals out of an oven or out of a fire, then as that charcoal would become cool and it would lose its red glow, this process, or that when it became cool, was known as Nibbana in India before the Buddha's time. When the, the mother of the house or the cook makes soup, 
it's too hot to eat. We must wait for it to nibbana before we can eat it. So the soup must nibbana for us to eat it. This was a very common usage. This was the common ordinary use of the word nibbana back in the old days. Or the goldsmith in his shop, after he would use his forge and bellows to make the, the gold molten, make it into a liquid, then he would pour it into a form. and then would sprinkle water over it to cool it. And so the, the goldsmith would had to make the gold nibbana. The gold had to nibbana again for it to become a metal that can be picked up and used. So this is another common use of the word Nibbana. So these first two examples were material examples of inanimate things. Now let's use an example of living creatures. When a wild animal, such as an elephant or a wild bull or a wolf, is captured at that point, it is a very dangerous animal, and humans must be very, very careful of it. But after the animal is captured, it can be trained and tamed. And after a while, the animal loses its dangerousness, loses its wildness and fierceness, and becomes tame. And so in the end, the, the animal that used to be a wild jungle beast becomes the same as a cat or a dog. And this condition is called Nibbana. Or we can say that, the, that we have to Nibbana the wild animals to make them tame to make them cool. This is another example of the word Nibbana and its usage. Now let's take a human example. For human beings, life is a series of difficulties of work, of effort, of slaving in order to get the things we need to maintain life. This is a long, long, difficult process. The business of life is difficult. It takes a lot of our energy and time. But when someone has successfully completed the business of life, then they, they can be free of many of these problems. 
For example, someone who has has run their family business well, it is developed well, they have a good house, all the furniture and clothing and possessions they need, um, children, grandchildren, nephews and nieces to run the business and carry on the family. When all these things have been taken care of, when all this business of life has been arranged, then that person can put on a white pair of shoes and white trousers and a white shirt and carry a white umbrella and spend the days or the evenings strolling up and down along the river. In, from the ordinary point of view of most people, this is Nibbana, to have successfully completed the business of life so that in one's old age one can quietly walk up and down along the river in one's white suit. This is another meaning of the word Nibbana. Now when our, our old elderly gentleman in his white suit who has retired from his thriving business, has a big family to look after him, his health is still pretty good, he's got a comfortable house, a nice Mercedes and everything, and a nice river to walk up and down along. This is worldly success. This is worldly Nibbana. So one day he's walking up and down around, along the river and he meets the Buddha. And they say hello. And the, the elderly gentleman in his white suit says that he's taken care of all the things he had to do and he has found Nibbana. And the Buddha replied, well, maybe that's your kind of Nibbana, but that's not the Nibbana of the perfected ones or of the noble ones. He said, the Buddha said, that's not the Nibbana of the Tathagata. The Tathagata is the one thus come, which is how the Buddha referred to himself. So the Buddha said that kind of that kind of nibbana is not the nibbana of the noble ones of the tathagata. So then the the man said, "But I've got a nice house and the business is doing fine and now I don't have to worry about it. And I've good health." many children, money in the bank, I belong to a nice country club. He said, what else can there be? And the Buddha asked him, do you ever get angry? Are you ever greedy? Are you ever stupid or foolish? He said, and especially, 
Are you ever afraid of dying? The, the man said, oh, sometimes. <laughs> he said, for, the Buddha went on to say that for the noble ones, for the Arya Pukala, for the Tathagata, the meaning of Nibbana is the end of these mental defilements such as greed, anger, foolishness, fear, worry, jealousy. This is the meaning of Nibbana to the Buddha. Now sometimes in India there was attachment to deep states of concentration as Nibbana that some of the yogis who could reach very subtle levels of concentration, they called that Nibbana. And there were other times when there was attachment to sexual pleasure as Nibbana. And so Nibbana was considered the, the feeling of satisfaction after one has satisfied one's sexual desires. At one time this was also considered Nibbana. But for the Buddha, the, nini, the meaning of Nibbana is the end of greed, anger, delusion, fear, and the other mental defilements. This is the meaning of Nibbana for the noble ones. Now, all these things we've talked about have one thing in common, and that thing is coolness. So it is appropriate to call all of them Nibbana. The question is, are these various kinds of Nibbana, are they temporary or everlasting? Are they are they partial or complete? Are they illusory or are they genuine? This is the question. This is the important question. So there are many kinds of Nibbana that we can experience in our life. For example, when there is say, sexual desire, that desire is hot, it is burning. And so when the, the corresponding activity to satisfy that desire is carried out or performed, then there is a certain kind of Nibbana. The burning of that sexual desire has cooled. So that's a kind of Nibbana. Or in the deep levels of concentration, which we call chana, the absorption meditations, there is a cooling of the mind involved in those as well. 
But both of these kinds of Nibbana are temporary. That sexual desire cools, but it's probably going to come back. And so that is only a temporary Nibbana. And the Nibbana of deep levels of concentration is also only temporary. That can't be sustained forever. It's necessary to come out of that. And then that, that kind of Nibbana ends. So are, there are these temporary, incomplete kinds of Nibbana. But there are also the, <coughs> the long-lasting, the everlasting, full Nibbana of the noble ones, of the Tathagata. And this happens when the causes of, all, of that burning, of the fires, of the hotness, when these causes are taken away and removed, such as removing sexual desire, that is, the, that is a true kind of coolness, which is not temporary, but is long-lasting, lasts for the rest of one's life. This is the difference between the Nibbana of common ordinary people and the Nibbana of the saints. Now for those of us at this point we can we can still use the Nibbana these worldly kinds of Nibbana otherwise we would burn ourselves up with all the various kinds of heat that comes from the defilements. But that these worldly kinds of Nibbana will always be impermanent and changing. So if we seek a complete end to those fires, then we, we must be interested in the Nibbana of the Tathagata, of the Buddha. Now, please don't think that these two levels of Nibbana is, is something we've made up today. This isn't something we just came up with on our own. This was a common way of looking at things since way, way back in India, before the Buddha's time. Even back then, there were these two ways of looking at Nibbana. There's the, this ordinary common worldly way, which was used by people who were still living, people who were living a regular household life with a job, a family, and a place in the community. So if one's life was in order, one's home was in good shape, one's children were doing okay, if one was a good person, wasn't always committing evil deeds, one was a gentleman or a gentlewoman. That was Nibbana in the ordinary sense. There were places where it's recorded that if, if you have a good wife, then you are a cool husband. Or if you have a good husband, 
your uh, Nibbana wife. Or children, if, if one's parents are good, you have good parents, then we could say the children are Nibbana or cool. So this word was used in this very ordinary way for thousands of years. And because of the nature of the language, it was often transformed into Nibuto, Nibuto, which means one who is cool or one who has the state of coolness. So this was very common way back then. However, this is the common ordinary coolness of one who is living the family life. It is not the coolness of the perfected ones, of the saints. There's a, there are many instances of this, of the word Nibbana being used in ordinary ways. There's a story about Prince Sitata. This was the young prince who later became the Buddha. While Prince Sitata was still living at home before he had left the, the royal luxurious life, he was walking past a group of people one day and they were talking about him. And there was one young woman who said, said, who's this guy? Or said, who is this? Whoever he is, whoever is the mother of this young, per this young man, she has Nibbanad. She is Nibbana. Whoever is the father of this man, he is Nibbana. Whoever is the wife of this man is Nibbana. Whoever is the child of this man is Nibbana. So this is how this word was used by many of the people of that time. So this is something worth considering and pondering so that we truly understand the meaning of the word Nibbana. Even in Thailand at the present day, this, this ordinary meaning of Nibbana is still used. You may remember the first night when you, some of you participated in the precept-taking ceremony. This is a very common tradition in Thailand. After the recitation of the five precepts, then the monk who gives the precepts will say, Silena Sukatingyanti, happiness, or the precepts or morality brings happiness. Silena Poka Sambata, the precepts or morality brings wealth. Silena Niputing Yanti, the precepts or morality leads to Nibbana. So even here, we see this common meaning of the word Nibbana. 
in this very, very common and popular ceremony, which is enacted throughout Thailand many times each day. But this kind of Nibbana that is that comes about through morality is the ordinary common kind of Nibbana. When we live according to moral precepts, not killing, not stealing, etc., then we live a life that is, is relatively free of problems. Our family life will be okay and our relationship with our neighbors will be fine. So by following the morality, then there will be a, a cool life of this sort. So here's another way that Nibbana is used. The cool life that results when one lives morally, free of problems within one's family and with one's neighbors. This is a kind of Nibbana for ordinary family people. Let's point out some a very important detail about this Silena Niputing Yanti. This means one reaches or one realizes Nibbana through morality. The word Yanti means right now, right here, immediately. So in Silena Niputing Yanti, this isn't something that one has to wait for next week, next year, or in some future life. The Nibbana that is realized through morality is immediate. This cool life comes about as soon as there is morality. This is a very important point. What we're talking about, we're talking about Nibbana that is here and now not sometime in the future, who knows when. We're talking about now. And so please be interested in this kind of Nibbana that is here and now. You don't have to worry so much about some later distant Nibbana. Be interested in the Nibbana that is immediate. Whether it is the relative kind of Nibbana that comes through morality or the ultimate kind of Nibbana of a Buddha. Next I'd like to talk about another kind of Nibbana which is very very important but unfortunately this is a kind of Nibbana that we never seem to be interested in. We never pay much attention to it. It happens and we we go and enjoy it, but we never take the attention to really pay it, really look at it carefully. This is the kind of Nibbana that comes from voidness. I'm talking of a, a spontaneous, coincidental kind of voidness that happens to each of us every day. There are periods of time in our daily life which you may have never really stopped to, to notice. When there, the mind is free 
of the mental defilements. The mind is free of the various things we call hindrances. These defilements are fairly powerful things such as greed, anger, hatred, fear, worry, which are very clear and disturbing in the mind. These we call the gilesa, or the defilements. There are some other things which are closely related to the gilesa, which are sort of a subcategory of gilesa, which we call the, the hindrances. These hindrances are, are more subtle and less apparent than the gilesa, but they disturb and pester the mind nonetheless. These are sensual desire, ill will, dullness of mind, agitation of mind, and doubt. These are what we know as the five hindrances. These, these hindrances are very common. The defilements are more powerful but less common. Now both the defilements and the nivarana arise and pass through the mind throughout the day. However, there are moments when the mind is completely free of the defilements and the hindrances. This, this moment of freedom may last for a minute or two or three. And usually we don't really notice it. We just feel comfortable, pleasant, happy. We feel as if there are no real problems, that nothing is disturbing the mind. We may feel all this vaguely, but we never, we usually never bother to look closely and see what's really happening and see this, this kind of emptiness clearly. This is a kind of Nibbana. We can call it a sample of Nibbana. This is a foretaste. Nature is giving us a free sample, but most of us just use up the free sample without using it wisely in order to learn about the real thing. So these these spontaneous, natural, accidental kinds of temporary Nibbana are happening all the time. It's just we're never really interested in them. We take advantage of them without learning anything about it. So this is another kind of Nibbana which we can know each and every day of our life because there are moments in each day when there is this kind of freedom from greed, lust, anger, hatred, fear, worry, jealousy, desire, doubt, dullness, agitation, all these kind of things. There are moments when these are all, they're gone. And that is a taste of Nibbana which you can all begin to know. 
Let's try this. Each of you ask yourself, what is the most comfortable, cool, free condition in your lives? Ask yourself this, at what time is the mind most comfortable, most, has the, the strongest feeling of well-being, of, of health? When does this happen? Does this happen when the mind is completely free of all emotions? or not. Look at this. Look at the times when the mind, when you feel that everything is okay, where you have the strongest feelings of well-being, of comfort. See if this happens when there is a complete absence of emotions, of emotions and feelings such as, this is good, that's bad, or emotions such as happiness and sadness, love, anger. You need to look at yourself in this way and see if, when are you in the, the most sublime and subtle state of well-being? When do you feel the most fine and okay? Now if we're interested a life that is in a life that is free and pure, then we need to start taking a look at these moments of freedom from the defilements. We can talk about freedom from any emotion, emotions of liking and disliking, loving and hating, of, of fear, worry, possession, all these kind of things. We need to begin to be aware of those moments when there is this freedom from the emotions. Then we can begin to see what it truly means to live a life that is free and pure. Now this is a very special thing which we, we never really give enough attention to. And so we don't see that it is only because of these, these moments of freedom, of voidness, that the mind gets a rest from the constant disturbance of the emotions of the defilement. If we were bothered by these emotions all the time, imagine what it would be like if the mind were pulled this way and that by constant emotions, no, without any rest, without any break. We'd surely go crazy. 
Isn't this what it means to be crazy, to always be pulled about by the emotions? And if some, and if that wasn't enough, this constant disturbance could kill us. Because in these emotions there is no rest and there is no peace. There's just constant agitation, disturbance, and fire. So it's these small moments, these small respites and rests from the emotion that allows us to survive, that allows life to go on. It's these little moments of peace that give us a chance to recover and to continue. So these are something very, very special, almost magical, which we need to see. To see it, to see these moments, to be aware of them, is something very magical. And that is the path to developing a true and complete understanding of Nibbana. But most of us never, never bother to look for these, these little moments of freedom. Nature, or Tama, has given us these little moments as gifts. These arise in our lives to allow us to survive. These are very, very benevolent gifts given to us by nature. But we are generally so ungrateful, so selfish, that we, we have no gratitude towards these things. We don't even appreciate their great value. We have no, no understanding and appreciation of this. And for this reason, we are very ungrateful and disrespectful towards Tama. Tama works in certain ways. It gives us these opportunities, these little respites. But when we are ungrateful, then there is the inevitable punishment of Tukha. This is how it works. Tama give, gives us these gifts, and when we don't appreciate them, then we, we have to suffer through the disturbances and agitation of all the emotions and defilements that we get ourselves into. So we need to begin to be aware of these things, get over this ungratitude, and be able to see what Nibbana really is like, to, with wisdom and understanding, sample these tastes of Nibbana, and then grow in understanding. See that these are the things that save us from craziness and from death. It's these, these little rest periods that allow us to survive. This is something that needs to be understood. So everything that has been said so far ought to make it clear that the practice of Dhamma means to make 
one's life cool. Or the making of a cool life, the creating of a cool life is the practice of Dhamma. These are the same thing, the practice of Dhamma and cool life. It's the same thing. So we want to make this point very, very clear that having Dhamma is having a cool life. Practicing Dhamma is practicing a cool life. You've probably all heard of Sila, Samadhi, and Panya. This is a very common way of summarizing the the practice, the practice of the middle way. Sila, Samadhi, Panya are three ways are a way of summarizing the practice of a cool life. Sila is to prepare life, to order life through morality and correct behavior so that life is is ready to be cool. Then samati or meditation is we limit we limit or we get rid of or prevent them from arising the the various fires which burn the mind. And then panya or wisdom is what destroys the cause of the fires. And so sila, samati and panya are three ways of developing and maintaining a cool life. Morality, sila, orders life so that it can be lived in a cool way. Meditation limits, controls, and gets rid of the fires that can arise. And then wisdom, or panya, will destroy the cause of all the fires. So this is, this is one way of looking at the practice of a cool life. Another way of looking at morality, meditation, and wisdom is that morality leads to physical coolness. When our physical behavior and our speech is in line, is when it's good and proper, then there is morality and we have physical or material coolness. Then through meditation, the mind has gotten in shape and there is mental coolness. And then last, through wisdom, there arises spiritual coldness, coolness. So sila, samati, panya bring about physical, mental, and spiritual coolness. Now these can all three be done at the same time. And there are techniques or practices that can do so, such as anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. In mindfulness of breathing, 
there can be morality. There, when it's practiced properly, there is morality leading to a cool, cool body or physical coolness. There is proper meditation leading to mental coolness. And there is the development of wisdom, which leads to spiritual coolness. All of these three things happening at the same time in the practice of mindfulness of breathing. Please reflect upon this natural fact until you understand it and see its truth. So to summarize what we've said so far, the practice of Dhamma is the making of a cool life, or the practice of Dhamma is making life cool. Now, we are going to give you a very precise definition of Tama. Please listen very, very carefully and understand the meaning of this, this definition. This is the most proper and correct definition of the word Tama. So please listen very, very carefully. Tama is a system of practice. Notice that it's a system. It's not just one thing. It's not just you do just one thing. It's a system of many things that must be practiced. That means must be applied and used in daily life. It's not enough to just study, listen, and think about things. There must be practice. So Tama is a system of practice that is correct according to the objectives of humanness or is correct according to the goal of humanity. Whatever, what is the, whatever the purpose is for human beings, for our lives here on this planet, this, the Tama must be a system of practice that is correct and appropriate towards that objective. It must also be correct according to the law of nature. Everything is nature, and all of this is governed by the law of nature. And so our practice, our system of practice, must be correct according to this law of nature. Otherwise, it won't work. Another way of saying this, especially for those of us who, who believe in God, is to say that our practice must be correct and appropriate according to the will of God. If we go against God's will, our practice won't work. So for those of you who, who have faith in God, in a God, then you can see it in this way. But for Buddhists, we don't have a belief in this kind of a God. And so we say that our practice 
must be correct according to the law of nature. And also this system of practice must be correct according to our human evolution, both in the sense of the evolution of each being from childhood through to a teenager and into adult. This evolution of each body and mind through the stages of life and also in the sense of the evolution of humanity whenever the ape-man began to develop into something that we can call truly human and then the evolution of the human species through the various stages of civilization from primitives up until modern civilization. So this is a very precise and correct definition of Tama, a system of practice that is correct and appropriate regarding the goal of humanity regarding the law of nature and regarding the evolution of man. This is the most proper definition of Tama. Please remember it. And there's one last bit. And this, this system of practice is for the benefit of both oneself and for the benefit of others. This practice is for the benefit of everyone. So let me repeat it all once more. Tama is a system of practice that is correct and appropriate regarding the goal or purpose of humanity or of humanness regarding the law of nature or the will of God, regarding the evolution of humanity, and it is useful and beneficial for both oneself and for others, that is, for everyone. So if we remember this definition, and live and practice according to it, then it will be certain that we experience the cool life. Not the cold life, but the cool life will be the certain outcome if we practice according to the definition that you have just been given. So this is the, the point of life and the point of our practice the cool life. And this is the way to experience it, for it to come about. Now, if you'd like to have a taste of it, a sample, before you commit yourself, then pay attention to those moments when there are no fires, when there are no emotions and sample that coolness 
and see if it interests you. Pay attention to these, these moments. This kind of coolness is not absolute, but it's a sample, it's a taste of, of the absolute coolness of complete Nibbana. So this is something that is available to you. We think that all of you are interested in and searching for the cool life, but that you may not be aware of it. This is true of most of us. We're looking for something. We're looking for coolness, but we're never quite aware of what it is we want or what it is we're looking for. Like, remember the hippies. The hippies were looking for a cool life. They're looking for a life of coolness and tranquility and peace. But they didn't know where it was. They didn't know how to to find it, how to achieve it, how to realize it. And so they were unable to, to savor it. So maybe, maybe we're all just hippies, but we, we now have some information to help us to genuinely discover, practice and live the cool life, the life of coolness. The meaning of human perfection is the cool life is the practice of Dhamma. Human perfection or a life of coolness and the practice of Dhamma, these three things are all the same thing. It's the same meaning. So this is what we've been talking about here. There is the the temporary momentary, accidental, spontaneous moments of coolness when we are undisturbed by any emotions, when there are these little breathers and rests from all the disturbances of life. And we can begin to study these moments until we have a fuller and deeper realization of them, until we live them more often for longer periods of time until these little rests grow and expand ultimately into a Nibbana, into a a coolness that is total and perfect. This is a possibility that we all have. Now when I talk about a system of practice There is one system of practice that is sufficient in itself. This is anapanasati. Let me point out to you so that you are very clear in that this practice of anapanasati in itself is sufficient to do all the work that is needed to realize a cool life. Not just the temporary, momentary freedom from emotion that we've talked about, 
but also the complete and absolute ultimate life of coolness. So this can be achieved through anapanasati if you understand the practice and apply it properly. So the perfection of humanity, the cool life, and the practice of Dhamma, these are all the same thing. We hope that you will be interested in these and will apply yourself to them and use the time given you at this retreat in order to develop anapanasati, this one system of practice which can bring you to the life of coolness, the life of spiritual coolness and tranquility. So we hope you're interested in this. And on this point, we will end today's talk. <laughs>